right, good. You may be seated. Wonderful. Thank you, Landon. That was great. Well, I just got back from Southern California, and so I'm sort of reeling from that, trying to recover. Uh, had a uh, quite a uh, eventful uh, experience, first formal debate I've ever done. Um, thought I'd share because you know, uh, told I've been pumping this up. So, um, how did it go? Um, it went okay. We had a lot of technical difficulties. Uh, Living Waters uh, Studios has never, ever experienced that much technical difficulties in their lives. And so a lot of warfare going on for this debate. And uh, Lord bless my wife <laughs> and what she's been through. But uh, yeah, it was rough. And so I checked with him. I was like, how's your week and weeks been, Mike? <laughs> and uh, he's had a real hard time leading up to this debate as well. Matter of fact, he was sick for the debate. So half the time he was crying about how sick he was. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but it was good. It was, okay. it was all right. I was a little bit shocked at how quick uh, the actual time for debating went. It just seemed like I asked one question and my time's up. Like, wow, that's it, huh? So uh, who won the debate? I mean, come on, it's obvious. No, just <laughs> You'll have to decide that for yourself. But, uh, but it was good. I just I felt, uh, you know, at dinner... Uh, we were trying to avoid the debate subject because we, we didn't want to steal each other's thunder. So we talked about Calvinism instead. And uh, I, I, I told Mike that he was a synergist and he got mad at me. I said, well, the reason why is because of 1 John. <clears throat> Let me show you what I showed him. 1 John chapter 2. Um, I just kind of want to run this by you because I said, I think you guys have heard me share this before, but I asked Mike... Uh, he said, Calvinists are so wrong on this uh, issue of regeneration, uh, the fact that faith precedes regeneration. That's true monergism. He says, that's absolutely wrong. Uh, faith does not precede uh, regeneration. I said, okay, so how do you deal with First uh, John chapter 2, verse 29? It says, if you, uh, if you know that he is righteous, here we go, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Now that Greek word there, born of him, is in the perfect passive tense, which means that if you have an ESV, even has it more clearly, it says something like has been born of him, right? And so it means it's a past, some past tense reality that has ongoing results into the present. And I asked him, can you please explain the temporal logic of that passage? Is it saying, that by practicing righteousness, you are born again? He said, of course not. That's salvation by works. You can't say that. I said, okay, hold on to that. Just look over to chapter 5, verse 1. I said, just remember that you said that. Right? It doesn't mean that by practicing righteousness, you become born of God or born of him, which is uh, genao, to be born again. Okay? Uh, I said, okay, now look at verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. I said, well, uh, how do you understand that? He says, yeah, well, of course, once, once you believe, you become born again. So there's only one problem with that. It's the exact same Greek construction as the last verse. So what this is saying is that if you believe, that's evidence that you have been born of God. So I said, just in the same way you cannot maintain salvation by works, you cannot maintain regeneration by faith. 
meaning that your faith causes the new birth. You see what I'm saying? And so, uh, yeah, he just got mad at that. Uh, I said, you are a synergist, you know, based on, the, based on how you're interpreting that. So uh, I couldn't make him mad about the debate content, so I wanted to make him mad about something else, you know. Now, he, I found uh, Mike Winger to actually be a pretty gracious guy, and we had a lot of laughs, and we had a really good time, and he sent me a really nice email after it was all over, thanking me and uh, being very appreciative of the whole experience. So it was good. It was good. You guys will have to wait to the summer to see what happened, okay? So, any questions about that? Isn't that cool, though, that those two texts right there? It's like you cannot have one without the other. You can't. You just can't because it's the same exact Greek construction. And so you're sort of bound by the text right there, you know? Um, so anyway, uh, all right, so let's go to our subject uh, for today, which is practical ecclesiology. Again, if you remember, we're looking at preaching, the ministry of preaching and the ministry of the Word, and uh, just trying to point out some very practical, essential characteristics of what preaching is, what preaching is all about, things that you already know for certain, of course, you know these things. But it's good for us to be stirred up by way of reminder, as Peter says. And when we think about what preaching is, we understand preaching in terms of the terminology or the, literally the vocabulary that's used to describe preaching, things like proclamation, uh, things like teaching. Uh, the word to teach uh, is also involved in true preaching. And also exhortation, this idea of admonishing, of exhorting, of encouraging one another, those kinds of things. And then we got into how do we profit from the word of God? That's really important when you think about the context of the church. Uh, the vast majority of you are not preaching. <laughs> There's only maybe one or two of us doing that. The vast majority of you are listening and taking the word in. And so, well, we're all doing that, right? But how do we profit the best from the word uh, in the context of the church and in the context of ecclesiology? How, how can we benefit the best from the word? And you know what? There's a real need to understand this as I understand it because in talking with people uh, year after year after year, it's amazing to me how many people in a church, even like, like ours, which I think is a church that's doctrinal, it's theological, it's expositional, it's, you know, and all these things, uh, it's amazing to see how many folks, you know, a couple years later, they still don't understand some of the basic vo vocabulary, let's say, of soteriology, or they don't understand certain categories, they still don't grasp, uh, you know, the difference between definitive and progressive sanctification, let's say, or something like that. They can't tell you what what, what, what imputation is, what imputation is not. They can't define justification. So, you know, um, that, that just lends to the idea that we need to be very methodical about the way that we approach uh, preaching, teaching, the ministry of the Word, uh, and then from your end, how you avail yourself to profit from the Word of God. How do you do this in the best way? And we hit two things, which was really in preparation for the Word of God. We talked about preparing yourself for the Word of God, and I just wanted to point out some things that are not typically talked about, but remember that Scripture is supernatural. In other words, when we get together, when we come together for this, we're gathering around a supernatural text. Uh, this is the Word of God, and uh, uh, it is inspired of God, and so it is not like any other book that we're studying here. Also, remember that it is rigorous to study Scripture, very rigorous, as a matter of fact. 
And uh, some scriptures are more difficult than others, and so it just demands, uh, if you're really going to engage the Word of God in a meaningful way, uh, it really demands uh, some work uh, if you're really going to profit from it in a meaningful way. Uh, also remember that scripture is sacred, and so this just lending to the idea that when we come together, it's, uh, it's a very reverent thing to gather around scripture, under scripture, under the word of God. How many churches approach church scripture in, in a very irreverent way, right, where scripture is almost no longer sacred? It's kind of just, just a stepping stone to talk about things that the pastor wants to talk about, but it's not, there's no fear and trembling involved in handling uh, the Word of God in approaching the Word of God. What did Moses say? You know, this Word is not a trifle for you. It is your life. You know, the Scripture, the Word of God, that is our life. Uh, and so, moving to the next one here, the issue of meditation. Look at that verse. Uh, chapter two, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 7, which I think is a phenomenal, phenomenal verse. And if you had microphones out there, I'd have somebody read it. Uh, but I guess I'll do that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Oh, and I just found out, Water's Edge, during our, our Sunday school time, uh, they're going to be occupying one of the children's ministry rooms quite often in the next few months, which means we'll be in here for Sunday school um, semi-permanently. So uh, that's something. Landon's, Landon's listening very carefully over there because he's got to do worship prep and all that. Uh, okay, you see that in verse 7? Under the issue of meditating on the Word of God, uh, here are some incentives. Look at this verse. Consider what I say, or the word is think over, right? Think over or consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Uh, and I thought, I, I was talking to somebody about this a couple days ago. And I was thinking, what's the dynamic there? What, 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 what is the dynamic there in terms of, um, you know, apostolic level? How do we understand this on an apostolic level? How do we understand this today, right? Was there, was there a level of illumination that Paul and Timothy were given by God by virtue of their office as apostle and apostolic emissary uh, that we don't have anymore? Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps they had... Uh, an apostolic illumination that we just will not have today because of a supernatural component, let's say, okay? Uh, but how does it apply to us today? That's the question. How does this practically now apply to us, this promise that if we carefully think over, consider, to use my word, meditate over what Paul says, the Lord will give us understanding in everything. Wow. Even got to qualify, what does it mean by everything, you know what I mean? Quantum physics? I mean, <laughs> probably not that. <laughs> It'd be nice, right? <laughs> Meditate on scripture, boom, you get quantum physics, you know? <laughs> probably not that. Anybody want to take a stab at it? How about the relationship, are you thinkers out there? How about the relationship or the disconnect or the, let's say the continuity or the discontinuity between Paul and Timothy and us today? What's the distinction and what can we benefit from today? Anyone want to take a stab at it? No? Sure? Robert, I see that hand. Uh, well, I was going to say that <laughs> that's really what the, 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 the
2 Timothy chapter 2, remember, he is talking about the entrusting of the gospel, the word of God, the ministry of the word. He's, in, he's talking about the duplication process of entrusting these things to other men who will then teach other men, right? And so this is like the apostolic pattern here for developing leaders and pastors and teachers in the church, right? And so really this text, verse 7, I think looks backwards more than forward. But, uh, but yes, I mean, ultimately, the understanding that is being given here has to do with re- revelation, right, with biblical content. That's the understanding that we're going to be given. To me, it's a marvelous promise that as we meditate in the Word of God, God will begin to illuminate our minds to truth, to open up His Word to us so that we can become competent, we can become uh, skilled at the Word of righteousness and things like that. That's where my mind is going, you know. Anybody else want to add to that? No? Yes, sir? I like that. And so the, the wisdom that would come to Timothy as a pastor, equipping him for his ministry, for his task, right? And that is, uh, that is calling us to the word to do that, which is really amazing, right? Of all the things, you know, of all the things that you're going to study as a Christian, all the books of theology, uh, you know, you come into my house, you know, there's thousands of books that I've got in my library probably, I don't know, and, and, or at least hundreds, but, you know, it's just like, and they're all wonderful and great and profound, but you know, it's one thing we can never forget that, that, that we need to always come back to the Bible. We always need to be people of the book and meditate uh, on the Word of God for, and then I just put down for illumination and for things like memorization. So important if you're into memorization to do that, to fill your mind uh, with Scripture, to memorizing Scripture, also for, just for your sanctification uh, very important also for spiritual warfare that you understand and you know how to combat the lies of the evil one. And this, this is, uh, sort of spills over to my other point, but you remember Jesus there in the wilderness when he was in his moment of temptation. What was his, cho- what was his weapon of choice? It was the, it was the sword of the, sp- of the Spirit. It was the Word of God, right? And, uh, and he had the ability to recall to memory Scripture uh, when he was in combat with, with, with the devil. And so that's why it's important as well. So anything else on meditation? How do you do it exactly, I guess? Anybody have any ways that they meditate on Scripture in an intentional way? Anybody have a way that they do that? I know my wife makes songs out of Scripture. You guys have heard her on, you know, whatever, social media or something. And she's singing, you know, Scripture and stuff like that. She's memorized. Uh, there was a time, I don't know, maybe if... Uh, Put a flashlight in her face. I don't know if she'd do it right now, but she could. She Trisha memorized Psalm one nineteen, almost the whole psalm. You know, it's a long 
psalm, and it was all to songs, you know, just little jingles, these silly little jingles that I have in my head now by default, but, <laughs> but it's a wonderful, brilliant way to learn scripture, you know what I mean, and, and, and all of that. But uh, memor- memorizing scripture is very good, that's, you know, that's what your phone is for, that's what, you know, the Apple ear pods or AirPods or what do they call them? Uh, you guys know, come on, help me out. What? AirPods, you know, what, yeah, put it in your ear, listen to it all day, just listen to scripture, memorize it, listen to the ESV on tape or the NASB on tape, memorize, do flashcards, you know, things like that. When you come to a red light, what are you doing at a red light? Well, you're looking at a flashcard or two, right? Of course, what else? Uh, Just take opportunity of the time that you have. Um, (laughs) That's really important. To be able to quote to yourself uh, scripture in the midst of spiritual warfare, you know, that's important. It's like Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you know, there's oh, someone is always preaching to you. Uh, the devil is preaching to you. You're preaching to yourself. Sometimes you're preaching truth. Sometimes you're preaching lies to yourself, right? And so you better be preaching to yourself the Word of God because you need to counteract all that falsehood that you're exposed to. You know, you turn on the television, they're preaching to you something else, you know what I mean? I mean, right now we're being, they're preaching, you know, death and destruction. Here comes the pestilence, wipe us all away. Well, you better read scripture about that <laughs> to hold on to the word. Okay, and so then the next thing comes to, wait, let me see, let me make sure I got that right. Engaging the word. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so then obeying the word, obeying the word. Uh, somebody want to read? Or, uh, maybe the only drawback of being in here. Psalm 119, verse 34. Let's look at that very quickly here. In the Bible, um, there are three major Torah Psalms. You know this? Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. These are the Torah Psalms. They kind of build and express. So you go Psalm 1, you know, uh, where you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, right? And then Psalm 19 expands on Psalm Psalm 1, and then you get, that's a preparation for Psalm 119, which is the full exposition of the law, okay, which is really amazing, but uh, verse 34, right, listen to this, give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart, (laughs) right, so give me understanding is a request that is born out of a desire to walk to obey, to conform, to perform. In other words, the only reason why we should be desirous of theology, of knowing the Word, of growing in our knowledge of God is so that we can observe it, so that we can perform it, so that we can obey it. And uh, that really gets down to the heart now, doesn't it? Because it's not just... You know, the Word of God is, 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 is deep and intellectually tantalizing as it can be, uh, is not meant to simply be that. And I think a lot of, you know, sometimes when you get to the higher levels of theology and you get into really, uh, 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 you know, academic type stuff, you know, you can forget the very practical obedience of all of that, you know what I mean, of, of how we're supposed to obey the Word of God. So how do you profit from the Word more than anything? Uh, of course, I would say that profiting from Scripture above all is found in obeying the Scripture, obeying what you read. I remember Ray Comfort, uh, fresh in my mind because I was just with him, but 
You know, he would say, even in open-air preaching, you know, uh, obey the Bible, or read the Bible and obey what you read. I mean, it's that simple, you know. It's like, okay, there's some hermeneutical qualifications that are necessary there, you know. <laughs> you know, you may not, you may not, you can't, you may not be able to obey some of the descriptive passages of Scripture, right? Jesus walked on water. I mean, don't obey that, okay? <laughs> it's not meant to be prescriptive. We understand that. But, you know, the gist of that is right. You know, so long as it's rightly interpreted, the Word of God is for the purpose of obedience. It's for the purpose of following through to the point of obedience. And I broke down obedience like this. I said, well, obedience has to be lived out from corporate obedience to personal obedience, meaning uh, the Word of God has to be obeyed in the church, corporately, among the people. We all are called to submit to the authority of Scripture and to try to follow its dictates, try to follow its precepts, try to follow its guidelines, you know, and things like this. And so uh, reformers, you know, they believed in what was known as the regulative principle for worship, for example. In other words, what's the regulative principle? You guys know? That's a test here. Robert? Okay. Anybody else? Morgan? Mm. Yeah, that's right. And the key word there is only, right? Because the regular principle of worship was saying uh, that we worship um, only as far as what Scripture gives us to, you know, in, in the worship of the church, we can only do that which Scripture uh, prescribes. So we, we can't add elements to worship, you know what I mean, that, that, that are not there, you know what I mean? Um, what would be some evidence of like an element of worship that we can add as a church? I don't want to say in like in disobedience to the word, but, 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 but what, what, what might be an evidence of things that are practiced today in the church that you don't find prescribed in the church, for the church? Anybody think of it? What's that? Guitars. Guitars? Oh, I would disagree. I would disagree. Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 18, I think it is. I better quote it. Mr. Exclusive Psalmody over there. I'll, I'll show you. Oh, that's a good question, though. Does the scripture give us, give us license to use instruments? determines whether or not Landon's going to get up and lead us in a moment. <laughs> I think it does. Uh, what did I say it was? Ephesians chapter 5, 18 and no, 19. Is where Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody uh, with your heart to the Lord. And that language there of making melody literally means plucking the strings. And so it could be referring back to the, the pattern of the psalmists that they were supposed to worship Yahweh with skilled instruments, you know, and stuff like that. So definitely in the biblical tradition, instruments are part of that, you know what I mean, are in our heritage. Uh, uh, acapella worship is not part of the biblical heritage in, in the sense of strict Church of Christ, many Church of Christs, for example, which, okay, we're not dealing with a true church, but a largely a cult, but, like, they would have, like, you know, that principle of no instruments. And some Reformed churches, too. Exclusive psalmody, which means you sing the psalms only. Uh, I don't find that in Scripture, but 
but yeah, that would be like you're adding something. The scripture doesn't necessarily stipulate, you know? I don't do baby dedications, for example, and I've come under fire for that. Uh, I don't do baby dedications because I don't think that's a ritual that's prescribed in the Bible. Uh, things like that, you know, altar calls. Do I see any altar calls in the Bible in the church? Is Paul telling Timothy, you know, then call them forward, have them sign a card up front, and, you know, maybe Finney's Bible, but not, <laughs> not Paul's Bible. Any other evidence of that? No? Uh, so just uh, obeying the Word of God corporately. Oh, here's one. I asked Mike Winger during dinner. I said, uh, <clears throat> I said Mike, my view of a true church includes church discipline. Does your church practice church discipline? And he said, no. He said, so what are you saying? I don't go to a true church? I was like, And he actually told me he's frustrated on that because he's actually approached his, his pastors and said, why don't we do this? You know, it's, it's right here, you know. They won't do it. And so the reformers, for example, absolutely maintained that a true church, one of the characteristics of a true church is that you uh, practice church discipline. You know, well, why, why is that the case? Is there, is there, is there I, mean, what, I mean, why is that the case? Anybody? Let's start in the back. Julio? Why should we practice church discipline? Amen. See, why are you so scared? I picked on you. You had a good answer. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Mm. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Repute, reprove, rebuke, correct. Right? Uh, exhort, you know. But yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think Matthew 18 is the seminal text. You know what I mean? That's the authority of Christ at work there. Jesus gives us the steps of what to do when someone is carried off in a transgression. It's not up to us, basically. You know, it's not up to us. We can't just make up church in our own image. You know, we have to, we have to do what Scripture says, you know, whether we like it or not. Right? What did Paul tell Timothy, right? Uh, in season and out, you know, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient, you know, and church discipline is not always the most convenient time to pull into the parking lot, but you got to do it if you're going to have any sort of soul, <laughs> evangelical soul, you know. Yeah, it protects the church, it purifies the church, it, it, uh, it's healthy for the church. I'll never forget uh, doing church discipline once, this is many years ago now, and a family came up and said, hey, we've been praying and we've been thinking about joining your church and blah, 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 and seeing that we made our decision, you know, because so rare today to see a church actually follow through corporately with obeying the word of God to that degree that, you know, that, that's going on. So what about personal obedience? Well, of course, in your own life, uh, you are to obey the word of God. So I just want to say that it's not just about blending into the church. It's not just about fitting in, looking like the others. And then at home, you know, it's a totally different story. No, just, just in the same way that the church as a whole is to walk in fear and trembling, sacred, you know, as a, a sacred institution, so too, on a personal level, we fear and we tremble beneath the word in our own lives. As Philippians chapter 2 says, right? We work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We walk in obedience. Paul tells the, uh, 
the Corinthians, you know, to be separate from the world, you know, separate yourself from the world. And the promise there, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it is, verse 14 and following, where he says, you know, God promises I will dwell among you. You know what I mean? But there must be a, a willingness to separate yourself uh, from uh, uh, the world of sin, you know, and things like that. Uh, I also put in here, you guys, household obedience, because, uh, you know, if we're really truly going to profit from the Word of God, um, we have to do it in our homes. You know, we have to do it as a family. We have to do it as uh, fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and children and parents. And, you know, we have to execute the Word of God in our homes. We have to be following through with the commands of Scripture in our private lives. And in our homes is where we're most comfortable, you know, and that's where we need to really walk with God is in our homes. So that's important. Anybody want to point anything out about that? Just household obedience? Um, yeah, you know what that means is that, oh, this is I had this conversation on this trip about an elder's children. Do they need to be Christians for the elder to be qualified to be an elder? I was talking about that with Mark Spence, and um, <clears throat> he's dealing with a situation, but uh, and, and so, how about that? You know what I mean? Well, I think Titus chapter 1 is very clear that what it's talking about there is that the elder's home has to run in such a way that his children do not run off into dissipation and into rebellion, it says, right? So they cannot be openly rebellious, for example. Uh, I have one horror story. Uh, I was at a church once uh, when I first moved to Texas. A good Reformed church, uh, a Presbyterian church. Um, and I was there listening. They had a guest speaker, a guy from Master Seminary, uh, teaching on uh, uh, counseling. And uh, anyway, I, ha I had a, a group of people with me. Sitting in front of me was a young homosexual young man, pink hair, talked more like a girl than my wife. And uh, I was like, wow. And then somehow through the course of the fellowship after the sermon, I found out that was the pastor's son. I was like, wow, you know, like, is that grounds for disqualification? I would say yes, uh, if he's in your home, you know, if he's a teenager in your house and he's walking in flagrant homosexual sin, yes, you're disqualified at that point. Uh, is that shocking to anybody? Yeah? <laughs> Why so? Yep. Yeah. Well, it's not that they must be, so my position, unlike MacArthur's position, would be that they don't have to be saved, but they cannot, according to Titus chapter 1, they can't walk in open rebellion and dissipation, which basically lends to like immorality and things like that, you know? And so I think that's a clear, you know, it'd be like your teenager's committing fornication and you're tolerating it you know that's that's something like that but yes sir yeah that's I think that's it it's like one thing if your child is struggling with sin and recognizes that it's unacceptable it's not allowed in the home you know those kinds of things but instead you know you're allowed to just flaunt it and you know live in it without radical sort of uh, consequences, you know, and things like that. And, and at some point, it's the sovereignty of God, you know, because, 
I will quote MacArthur. You know, he says, if your wife's not called to ministry, neither are you. And you may be the most gifted, you may be the most theologically, you know, but if your wife is not on board with the ministry, <laughs> you're not qualified, even if you want to be. You can, you can say, well, I can't control her. You know, I, there's nothing I can do to change her. At some point, it's like God's sovereignty has decided that issue, you know, and you just have to submit to that, you know, and... Um, I've known men in that in that position. Yeah. 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 That's where the that's where the Timothy passage would correlate with Titus is has to have his house ran well, his children under sub subjection, right, and things like that. So that's why I put household here because I just thought like so important that we follow through, you know in every area. And, uh, and then I put the word radical obedience. What do you think I mean by radical? Do I mean like you got to get all radical? <laughs> what does that mean, you guys? Radical obedience. What do you think I mean by that? You know, it's not like a John Piper, don't waste your life kind of thing, but <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes, and that's what I meant, it's like radical meaning every area, everything, right? It's just got to be, covers every, every different aspect of your life. Yes, sir? He's learned that because of seminary applications. In everything. Yeah. Be subject to your husbands in everything. That's right. But that doesn't mean violate your wife's conscience. And in her conscience, she just doesn't, she can't do it. She doesn't want to be a pastor's wife. It's not in her. She's not on board. She's not, you know, she has no desire. Uh, it's, it's a point of, it's more of a point of bitterness than blessing. That's not good. Don't drag your wife into that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like with Trish, I'll give you a story. I mean, I, you, you guys know Josh Lingle, you know. I was ready to join him in his, you know, you know in his Islamic es escapades. You know, I was, ready to go to, I was ready to go to the mission field with that guy and just waste my life away trying to save Muslims, you know. But Trisha was so terrified, you know. It's just like, what am I going to do? Take her kicking and screaming? She doesn't want to move to Morocco. There's nothing I can do to her. There's, nothing I can, there's no manner of counsel that would change her mind. So I can either take her dragging and screaming, right, angry at me every day because I'm forcing her to live in a life that she doesn't want to live, you know, or I can just accept, Lord, it's not your will that I be a missionary right now. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's not, it, yeah, exactly, because that's not a, that's not a, 
that's not necessarily a mark against her, right? It's just we have to understand our wives that they're just not called to that. Like, you know, and, and, and for, for that calling to happen, to be sound, it cannot be built on a divided home. It, it can't. You know, you're just asking for trouble. <laughs> you're just asking for trouble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Fellow heir. She is a fellow heir. She's a king, priest, and prophet to her God, just like you are. So you need to respect her priesthood in a sense. You see what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah, that's a, taking us in a little bit of slightly different direction, but you understand the, the application there. You know, it's like we have to obey the word in everything and in our house. We have to be, you know, the uh, radical obedience, every area of our lives, you know, submitted to the word of God, all of that. Why do you think I put gospel obedience? You may know why I put that there. Why gospel obedience? Can anybody think of why I put that there? Brian, what do you think? It looks like you're, you're a ventriloquist. You're like, and then Jai's moving over here. It's just like, what are you doing to poor Jai, you know? That's not what I mean. That's the next slide. Don't steal my thunder, by the way. What do you guys, any other ideas of what I mean by gospel obedience? Robert? Remaining in the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, then that would be, that would be uh, obey the gospel. But gospel, by gospel obedience, I mean more something like that our obedience is driven. Oh, here, I have a scripture. almost forgot that. I was like, this is the one I wanted to hit if I'm going to touch on this. Go to Galatians chapter 5, please. Basically, gospel obedience versus uh, obedience uh, under the law or under the old covenant, you know, um, how has obedience changed in the new covenant, so to speak, right? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's important that we understand gospel obedience because we don't want to do anything merely out of just compulsion or obligation or, you know, I say, you know, I tell people, you know, don't have a guilt-driven ministry, you know, and don't have a guilt-driven life. The gospel does not teach you to have a guilt-driven life. Well, I got to do this, so here I go. You know, I'm just going to do it because they tell me I got to do it. You know, that's not the gospel. <laughs> you know, something's wrong there, and it's typically the heart. So the dynamic is found here in Galatians chapter five, verses. Uh, oh, what is it? Five and six. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of the of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor un- uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Like, I think that's the principle now that motivates us, that works, right? It's not just here are all these external requirements, right, that you have to conform to, like it or not. 
right? Now it's the principle of faith, right? The, the gift of faith that God has given us, right? And what propels our faith? It's not just duty, but it's love, right? It is, it is, it is born out of the love that we have for God. That is what motivates us now to obey. It's a glad, what is a... What does Psalm 110 say? I think it's verse 3. It talks about that in that day your people will volunteer in the day of your in the day of your glory or something like that. Right? It's like what it's saying is something like like in the in the day of battle, you know, God's people will voluntarily go into battle with the Lord, you know, type of thing. It's because he's going to change our hearts, he's going to change our natures, and so this is a, a, a you know this is to balance you know legalism on the one side you know, but at the same time also you know also balancing antinomianism on the other side you know it's not that we're calling for no obedience, no conformity, no submission, no law, absolutely not. But as Paul says, we obey the law of Christ, and so now it's almost like the law has been sort of. Uh, uh, kind of reoriented. It's no longer Torah-centered. Now it's Christ-centered, right? It's no longer centered around the external uh, institutions of Israel, the sacrificial system, the dietary principles, you know, all of these external things that uh, the book of Hebrews says in chapter 10 are just for external washings and ceremonies. They do nothing to change the heart, but now we've been oriented completely around Christ, Okay, you see? And so Christ ultimately uh, sort of uh, drives our obedience now. You, you see what I'm saying? So it's not a, a, it's not a legalistic type of obedience, but it's also not an antinomian obedience. You know, it is a gospel-driven obedience. And I know that this is hard. This is really hard. This is one of those, I mean, book after book after book after book has been written to try to find the balance to this question. And I think the question could be asked, brethren, I mean, do we need a system when it comes to this issue? Why do we need a system for this issue? I don't know. I mean, the guys that are writing on these issues are all really smart. It's interesting how they come to different nuances and different emphasis. It's just because I don't think any one person has the right balance on all these issues, right? Uh, I think it's... If you have the Spirit, as Paul says here, and if you're motivated by love, I think the Spirit will lead His people, uh, you know, through the ministry of the Word. Um, yeah, so any questions about that, right? All I'm saying is that don't look for the manual on sanctification. You may be disappointed. Take them all into consideration. You know, read Ferguson. Read uh, Mark Jones. Read those guys. But at the same time, recognize that you know, they may not have, uh, they may not see it all. So, any questions on that at all? Okay, so last one here is uh, probably because I'm at, soon be out of time. Study the word. Oh, this is my, this was my favorite. You know what Acts 17.11 says, right? right? Study the word, right? So, Acts 17.11 is all about the Bereans, Right, who were more noble-minded because they received the word with all readiness, but then they tested to uh, to see, you know, tested the, the message of the apostles with the scriptures, you know, if, to see if these things are so. And so, to be a Berean means you you're ready to test all things against scripture. And so, I thought, you know, study the word of God in your own life, and uh, this is how you can profit from the word of God the most. 
It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a Christian, you're called to study the Word. If you're a Christian, you know, you've you, you got to be a person of the Word. I mean, you know, uh, I've heard so many people say, well, I'm not a big reader. I don't like to read. I'm not into books. Uh, reading has never been my thing. But again, we're not just reading any old book. Uh, that's why I started with that point, you know, earlier on, Joshua. It's just like, it's not just any other book. It's a supernatural book. It's the Word of God. It's, it's your life, Moses says. I mean, it's not any other book. And so uh, we, all, we all have to uh, uh, take the Word and the study of the Word of God serious for these reasons I've listed here, because it's a matter of worship. We're supposed to worship God with all our mind. And so all of our mind has to be sort of caught up in worship, you know. We don't check our intellect at the door. And you know, this is amazes me. It's, this is it's amazing because I hear so many excuses from people, men and women, who tell me why they're not into studying the Word, right? And then I ask them, like, what do you do for work? You know, like, what do you do for work? And then I find out that they have this job, you know, and they go into, like, how they're in insurance policies or something. I don't know. You know, I'm just like, that sounds like hard work. Like, well, yeah, we have to go through training and we have to read all these manuals and all this stuff. Like, like, so you're using your mind <laughs> very rigorously for some things. You know what I mean? Like, you did it for secular school, right? You got a diploma, you got a degree. Well, what do you guys think about that? Um, studying the Bible is a matter of worship. And the reasons why you want to study the Bible is because you want to have discernment. And the crazier and crazier and crazier our world gets and the crazier things like the church gets. Oh, I was going to play the video of Francis Chan in here just to make you guys mad. <laughs> you guys hear Francis Chan's video? You know, he's, he's, he's speaking at a conference somewhere. and I don't know what he was thinking, but he goes on this rant about how basically all of church is done wrong now and he said, I don't know what happened, but for 1,500 years, there was one church. And it wasn't about some guy going off into his office and studying for 20 or 30 hours and then coming and delivering a message. And he goes, you know what? And there also, there wasn't a pulpit for the majority of church history. There was no pulpit. So he wants to remove the pulpit from the church, apparently. He wants to remove the pastor from the study office. Then he says it was just about communion and the body and blood of Jesus. And then he starts crying and saying, I'm serious, guys. I've been dreaming about this. And it's like, what is he talking about? So, you know, James White went off and all this. So I'm just saying, like, how many people were at that conference? I don't know, maybe a thousand. I mean, listening to that rhetoric of, <laughs> I guess the Roman Catholic Church was the one church for 1,500 years for Chan. And I guess we're supposed to get rid of our pulpits. And I guess pastors shouldn't study for 30 hours anymore and deliver a sermon. That guy went to the master's seminary. And I had a master's seminary guy call me and say uh, he was asleep during church dis uh, history. Okay. Uh, also, what about the matter of discipleship? If you're going to disciple somebody else, even as you are called to do, right, we're all called to disciple people one another. Uh, Colossians says, teach one another, right? And certainly, mothers teaching children, fathers teaching their households, friends teaching each other, you teaching your co-workers. God gives you opportunities. Whatever ministry God has entrusted to you, you are a teacher of God's word in some form, in some fashion. 
And for the sake of discipleship, you need to know the Word of God. You must understand the Word. There's going to come a time in all of our lives when no one will be there to back you up. It's just going to be you and what you know about Scripture, right? Your husband won't be there. Your pastor won't be there. Your friend who knows the theology is not going to be there. God's just going to put you in a place where it's all on you right now. And so you need to be ready for that. Anybody experience that, right? Oh, I have. I mean, yeah. Ricky, right? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, so have I. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, you know, uh, be a workman, rightly dividing the word of God so that, you know, you don't need to be ashamed, you know, but rightly dividing the word of truth, right? So uh, learning how to uh, uh, study the word is, is really important. And also for just as a matter of maturity, uh, that's also really important. So that's the study of the word. And just so that I finish, nope, I'm not going to finish. <laughs> I'm not going to finish. Because <laughs> I have grow in the word and then I have spreading the word. And so um, uh, with five, six minutes, I, I'd rather be obedient in all things and say that's it. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to make it. But uh, any other questions about studying the word? Uh, realistic expectations? Do you have to study the word like I study the word? Does every single person in this church have to study the way that I study or the way that somebody else studies? No, of course not. Maybe not, right? But you've got to study. So I tell people to do is, in your house, your beautiful house that God gave you, or apartment, or wherever you live, I don't care, uh, where do you study? Do you have a place to study? You know, maybe it's Starbucks. Okay, fine. Go to Starbucks and study. But do you have a location where you study, where it's, this is where I go to study the Word of God. Uh, do that. Yes, sir. That's a question for concern, right? Yeah, that's concerning. If you go to church, but Monday through Saturday, you know, you don't even crack your Bible open. You know, that's... that's Yeah, you know, when you're in love with someone, you know, what, what, who needs to tell you to go and get with that person? You know, go and, you know, when you're in love with Jesus, I mean, you cannot help but to be driven to his word. You know what I mean? It's just faith working through love. You're just compelled to go and to just, you know, enjoy and, and stand in awe of his word and love his word and take in his word and abide in his word as Jesus said. What do you say? If you love me, you will abide in my words, right? You will obey my commands, right? So an evidence of your love is that you are obeying in his word, abiding in his word and obeying his commands. So very clear. Thanks, Ricky. God bless you guys. Let's, uh, let's take a little break. Bathroom break. We'll come right back here in a few minutes for our service. God bless you all.